Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Look inside yourself. What is that pain? What is that fear of your mother's body appearing? Sophia, ask yourself. What God made a world like this one? A real shitty God. The same one that created this world. I want to leave. <laughs> the five veils. That's the path your mother walked. I don't want to die. You will not die. You will live. I'm already alive. You think that you're alive. You think that these walls can't be crossed. That the sadness you keep inside is real. the great fire barrier received the empire of the first door. Gina, let me into your kingdom taken in the image and likeness of the innocent. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. You just heard a clip from the Lovecraftian series, Fedia, The Darkest Light. The show is the most blatantly modern Gnostic fair ever. The heroines are named Sophia and Eve. A mysterious cult quotes the Gospel of Thomas and Philip, as well as Thunder Perfect Mind. There are mentions of Valentinus in cryptic tomes. The transdimensional horrors are archons led by a demonic god literally named Yaldabaoth, etc., etc. There was an angel that emerged from the cloud. Fire 
pouring out of its face, its body covered in blood, and its name was Yeldabaoth. You were talking about a snake with the head of a lion! I've seen them again. I've seen them, just like Sophia. Fedia is not bad, but nothing on the level of other Gnostic series like True Detective Season 1 or Stranger Things Season 1, where the main monster is the Demogorgon, an Enlightenment-era name for Yaldibaldi. In Fedia, though, the Gnostic cult is a bad ombre. Your boilerplate fringe occult sect hidden at the edges of a small town. What are you gonna do? On one hand, the Gnostics have been the perennial boogeyman and whipping boys for religious and secular powers across history, vilified because they championed individualistic, anarchist, and inner alternatives to civilization and its, well, civilizing effects on the rights and freedoms of humans. I have instructed our Attorney General to prepare the appropriate legislation to amend those First Amendment rights that have been so long abused by our country's foes and their unwitting allies among the media elite. No one regrets these measures more than your President. On the other hand, everything casts a shadow and everything can be weaponized. Gnosticism is no exception. Moreover, weaponized Gnosticism is very effective, can alter history and mesmerize considerable numbers of meat sacks. Look at Scientology, Heaven's Gate, Postmodernism, Mormonism, and, if we follow the research of Toronto professor Paul Vervaki, even communism and Nazism. Yes, weaponized Gnosticism is very, very effective. And everything casts a shadow. Uh, dangerous things, dark things, anything that contradicts or threatens your perceived reality. It happens more often than you might think. A line is drawn separating bad from good, friend from foe, men, women, black, white, them, us, criminal, victim, god, devil. It helps us to deflect, you know, avoid feelings like guilt, uncertainty, self-blame. So welcome to Aeon Bite, where we equally hold up both the light and the shadow of the universe and within us separate and integrate these dualities in a way that brings wholeness and opens our divine spark to higher states of consciousness. As the dialogue of the Savior states, unless one stands in the darkness, one will not be able to see the light. Or as Jung said, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light but by making the darkness conscious. If you look in the face of evil, evil's gonna look right back at you. As I keep saying, this may not be the best time to be alive, but it's the best time to be awake. No one here gets out alive, but we can transcend and we can transform. We are the high priests and priestesses of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. 
We are the Joker and the Thief, and we know there is some way out of here. As always, I, Miguel Connor, your pompadus of Gnosis, is honored to be with you every step of the way. I didn't have the heart to tell her there is no heaven to go to, because we're in it already. We're in hell, too. They coexist right beside each other. And God is the land. Let's continue separating shadow and light. We're going to need that bigger boat discernment because on this episode, we'll be dealing with what might be the mother of all conspiracy theories. More than a movement, but a storm that has already arrived. That is Tartaria. A oh, fuck off. Hey, fuck off. To untangle this kraken of alternative history, we have the pleasure of being joined at the Virtual Alexandria by Emmanuel Kingsman, host of Godcast and an incredible researcher and writer. Emmanuel will provide a bigly summary of Tartaria, as well as his own findings that reveal, well, Apocalypse Now, you shining crazy diamonds. Apocalypse Now. Real Wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Man, Tartaria is indeed a kraken. A monster hypothesis with tentacles that reach almost to every corner of alternative speculation. I have a feeling it will shake society to its foundations once it finger bangs the mainstream. Hold on to your metaphysical knickers and sanity ankles and perspective testicles. <laughs> I am so alone. Tartaria is part of what scholar Hugh Urban called the new Uber conspiracy theory. The days of separate and rarely connecting theories are over, like having JFK over here and UFOs over there and fake moon landing somewhere far off. Now it's all about an umbrella, unified theory of everything conspiracies. Like QAnon, where a cabal is responsible for every societal misfortune and corruption in the West. Like Russiagate, where, as Nancy Pelosi said, all roads lead to Putin. Like the more radical elements of environmentalism, where every weather pattern, every shift in degrees, every climate anomaly, regardless of how insignificant, is an expression of global warming. This is conspiracy paranoia. The issue isn't whether you're paranoid, Lenny. The issue is whether you're paranoid enough. Of course, Gnosticism never had this issue. They didn't see every atom of this cosmos as computer code to keep us enslaved. Every church, institution, and nation as an extension of demented angels. They didn't see every thought we had as willfully programmed into our minds by Archons. Escadé says there are minor gods called Archons, who can cross the threshold. Supposedly, when they enter our world, they must inhabit a human body, which is a vessel. They cannot live outside it. Okay, 
Maybe the Gnostics uh, were history's first uber-conspiracy theorists. The Church Fathers certainly thought so, calling them paranoid and epic in their insanity. Worse than Satan, because at least the devil didn't mock sensible reality. But has Gnosticism affected today's culture? A contraband virus spread through the legacies of secret societies, Renaissance Hermeticism, and the ideas of Philip K. Dick and other influential sci-fi writers? Or maybe Gnosticism just works today because, like Emmanuel says in the interview, people are realizing the game is rigged. As Eric Davis wrote in his book, Technosis, Gnostic lore also provides a mythic key for the kind of infomania and conspiratorial thinking that comes to haunt the post-war world, with its terror of nefarious cabals, narcotic technologies, and invisible messengers of deception. You're working too hard. You're seeing conspiracies that don't exist. Yeah? Or maybe just getting too close for comfort. Is Tartaria the shadow or light side of Gnosticism? Or is it both? Hard to tell, right? As Hermes is the god of the mind, but also the trickster. And madness and wakefulness have such faint boundaries. In Mercury's age, you can't be alive until you are cured of sanity. But there is that saying that whom the gods love, they just kill. Whom the gods hate, First they make mad, and then they kill. Which is it? Krishnamurti said that truth is a pathless land. I've said Gnosis is a pathless labyrinth. And as Philip K. Dick said, the maze is always shifting. Whoa, 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 we're not talking about reality here. We're talking about fiction. It's different, you know? A reality is just what we tell each other it is. Sane and insane could easily switch places if the insane were to become the majority. You would find yourself locked in a padded cell, wondering what happened to the world. How can we tell with all these theories? Well, that's why you're here. To make up your own damn mind and walk your own damn path between madness and wakefulness, shadow and light. I can't provide those answers, and neither can any being on this planet for you, or else they're false gurus. This is your story, your adventure, your fucking dream. I am with you, but I am just one point of light in your journey to uniting with your higher self. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. All right. A little housekeeping. By audience demand, the Astronosis Conference is now available to stream remotely. So get thy tickets at my webpage. Dirt cheap for two days of the best and brightest on the intersection of ufology and Gnosticism. Don't forget my voiceover availability for any project, as I just narrated a World War II memoir. Intense, stuffy stuff, but nothing occult or mystic. Let us do our interview with Emmanuel Kingsman. Let us separate more shadow and light, or else we'll be trapped in the Ouroboros forever, like the population of the town called 
Feria. This is the Aeon Byte interview, and with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by Emmanuel Kingman. Emmanuel, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Miguel. This is quite the honor to be on your show. You know, I had you on my show a while mm-hmm. back when I was first starting out, and now I can have the pleasure of bringing some good information to your show, and it's a great uh, honor to be here. Awesome. Yes, I enjoyed our talk. And uh, yeah, this vast network of podcasting is a lot of fun, a lot of good conversations. So golden age of oh, podcasting yeah. where all this information is flowing and they can't stop us. <laughs> yeah, well, they're trying to. As they're best trying as they always. Can. Yes, yes, they'll <laughs> always try. And with us too, we got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine after a nice day of work on a nice Monday. So it sounds like we're in for a lot of interesting information, things that I haven't really heard about too much before now. So looking forward to it. Oh, yes, indeed. Again, I think it's overdue to tackle the issue of Tartaria. It's out there on the Internet. It's gaining steam. So it's time for uh, us to take care of it and give it a shot. I know my wife is uh, very interested in it. And as I was telling Emmanuel, she just throws all that information. And I'm like, what in the world? You've got the moors here and the mud floods there and Genghis Khan with blue eyes here. It's just it's quite a rabbit hole it's incredible um but i don't know what else to say i think uh, yeah go ahead emmanuel uh no i was just gonna say it's a really amazing quickly uh did i default here for a second yeah uh, okay yeah uh how quickly this seems to have hit the the channels, you know, of conspiracy and is just taken over in a lot of different senses. The mother of all conspiracies. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I, I remember I was at a conference uh, and there was a scholar, uh, Hugh Urban, and he was, uh, again, taking a very at this conference. It was a Gnostic conference. Everybody was being uh, being anthropologists about it. And that's how I like to approach these things. I want to be as uh, unbiased as, as possible so people can get what they want and figure things out for themselves. 
but he talked about how now we exist in the era of like uber conspiracies you remember the days where it's like uh jfk people were here 9 11 people were here ufo peoples were here and all that and you had maybe some exceptions like the john birch society that tried to put it all together so that's how it is but he said now we come into the era of uh uber conspiracies where we want a, an umbrella to keep them all together QAnon might be an example i think the more radical parts of the environmental movement where every day every hour and every part of the world is a is a conspiracy for global warming uh jason reza Giorgiani in his great book closer encounters he was able to tie all the ufo conspiracies together so it seems we live in those times don't we emmanuel yeah absolutely well i think the, that the rulers of this realm have been really just making us all conspiratorial because <laughs> yeah. in one aspect or another they are deceiving us and they're hiding the truth from us so like you said it, you can go in so many different ways the medical field uh, i mean we could just go on and on about how someone can awaken to all the conspiracies but then you start to piece them all together and you're like oh there seems to be some group here that is purposely doing all these things and now it's really just uh to me coming to fruition or the the truth is coming to fruition to us now that and we're calling it conspiracy but i think like everything's really conspiracy you know we conspire to to make this episode you know we were <laughs> two people get, got together and uh had an idea and we conspired so when we use that you know it it goes back to the jfk cia making this as to try to put people in a box you know mm -hmm. that term so i take it on uh, and i love being called a conspiracy theorist but i think that it's very valid at this moment and everyone can see it in all the different ways oh indeed indeed and um well, I'm trying to think, should we start with your story? I'd like to go a little bit on your story and how you came to these uh, conspiracy realms. Tell us about uh, your story for something that, that that stood out to me, Todd, and I advise uh, the audience to go to his blog. He's got a story. It's very inspirational, very touching, a good reminder for my recovery. But you started out very much uh, going into some bad paths, and you talk about what struck out is your narcissist mother. That's what really started, I guess, didn't allow you to develop as a human being. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I have a lot of different facets of my traumas uh, and my awakening process. It's, you know, it's always a never ending process of, of evaluating what you were in the past and you always can come up with more and more information. So, uh, for me growing up, uh, I love my mother and I have forgiven her. I, and I, I used to say for a while that I forgave her, but I didn't actually mean it, but now mm -hmm. I can truly say that I've forgiven her and I mean it. Uh, but so I know that she did the best with what she could, uh, and how she was raised and her perspective and all that. But my house was a lot of yelling. It was always belittling people. It mm -hmm. wasn't uh, giving praise. Not necessarily that praise was always needed, but when we start to evaluate how traumas are inflicted upon children, when you are to tell a child 
they're bad when they're bad, but not they're good when they're good. Then all of a sudden, everything becomes negative. It's a, always a bad perception. You're looking for the bad in others as you grow up because that's what was looked at in you. And, you know, it, it gets in a weird place, but I was became a drug addict. I went to prison. I was a uh, drug addict for 10 years. Uh, well, you know, at least eight years, but uh, when I was using drugs as a teenager, heavily uh, as a teenager, and I went to prison for burglarizing pharmacies. And this was seven years ago, I, I went to prison. And then through the process, of, I prayed for the first time, my 90th day in prison. And I asked God to help guide me because I'm not where I want to be. You know, I wasn't doing the things that I wanted to do, like, please this, help me. And for the first time in over a decade, I prayed. I didn't never really even prayed. So I say the first time in over a decade, but even when I prayed as a child or a young teenager, I didn't really do it the way you're, you're supposed to do it. I, I would always pray when I asked for something and once in a while. So mm -hmm. I, I never really just talked to God and, and said, can you help me? I would always ask for something specific, like, you know, something childish. So that really changed me. The next day I wasn't an addict after that 90th mm. day, when I prayed the next day it was gone uh, because the, the whole 90 days prior, when I am in prison, my thought is if I leave, if I am to get bailed out, which I had no one, had the right to bail me out because I was such a screw up at that point. But I kept telling myself, I'm going to get high. If I go get bailed out, I'm going to get high. And it was driving me. And when I prayed, it was like some kind of line was severed and I was no longer an addict. Now I still had addictive behaviors, pattern behaviors that were in me that I had to uh, let them run their course and overcome them, of course. But it wasn't that driving force that was trying to pull me back down into the depths of addiction. So it's do you think it was almost uh, an exorcism? A demon came out of you, or what do you what kind of transformation do you see it as? Well, yeah, you could say that that I was I had given myself over to something that wasn't God for the. 10 year period, you know, mm -hmm. I was, I, I actively rebelled against God uh, at like 14 or so. I said like, Oh, there's no God. Like if there was a God, then why would all these people? Cause I got into conspiracies. Uh, I was uh, what 12 when nine 11 happened. I saw loose change in 2004. So I was very aware, very early on about uh, the conspiracy side of things. And as soon as I would see these things, I, it resonated with me. I'm like, Oh yeah, there's some truth to that. Like I inherently knew something in this world wasn't right. So when I start to see, Oh, all these rich people, all these celebrities, they never praise God. And, and look at them. They have all these uh, things. They have all this money. They're famous. Like there must not be a God. So when I prayed, it was like all those bonds were just broken. And uh, someone could look at, I I wouldn't say that that was uh, an exorcism. I have been delivered from demons several times mm -hmm. since then, but this is a, a much more recent thing when I'm getting very close to Christ himself. And it's like a, an energy work type of thing. I do energy work with people. I do spiritual baptisms with people and 
So I can move energy. I'm very sensitive to feeling energies. I'm a reflector on the human design chart, which means I have no centered uh, energy centers in me that I just take on the life of those who are around me at any given moment. So I, I started to center myself in Jesus because I didn't want to take on the life of anybody else. And in doing that, I can feel the difference between Christ's love versus when someone comes in and then I start having these different thoughts or emotional reactions. No, it makes sense. And uh, your your poison was what? Xanax and clonopin, right? I, yes. I, I took clonopin, oh God, for like eight years. I never abused it. I honestly took the whatever 0.5 milligrams, whatever my shrink told me. And I did that for years. I always had the same bottle to refill, but man, getting off that stuff was murder. And even if I was, uh, you know, I'd barely taken it all these years. Uh, did you have a physical or how was getting off of that stuff? It's brutal. Well, so my main drug of choice was opioids, but mm -hmm. like I say uh, on my website, it was, was any pharmaceuticals, which I now know as pharmacia. So it, it was like right. a witchcraft sorcery thing that was, probably some family lineage type deal that was made way back when. But anyway, for me, the, so I was taking 300 to 360 milligrams of Percocet up God, per day. Good God. Yeah. So when I would take the Xanax and Klonopin and Suboxone, that would be when I got off. Cause there'd be different times where I would switch from right. the, the Percocet or the, the oxycodone to the uh, Suboxone with the Xanax or Klonopin, whichever I got my hands on at the time from all these crooked doctors that have now been arrested, federally charged, they're all federally yeah. indicted in prison, you know, uh, the four or five of them in Philadelphia where I, this was going on because th they were just pill mills. They were just making money. They only accepted cash because they didn't want to put it on their books. There's so many, it's just so corrupt, but yeah, getting off of it, I never really had too bad of a physical reaction, which is strange. Even when I went to prison, I never, I didn't have any opioids in my system when they tested me, but I had so much of the, uh, Xanax and Klonopin in my body, uh, of the, uh, what are they called? Uh, barbiturates. I had so much of that in my system that they had to keep me on medical uh, watch for two weeks where it was 23 hours, 23 hours and 30 minutes of lockdown. And then 30 minutes, we'd get to roam a hallway mm -hmm. every day. Lights never went out. Super bright people. It was the crazy word. People were banging on the doors all night long, just uh, horrible smells. You know, it was just awful. And I was on there for two weeks because they were afraid that I would withdraw and become physically ill, which uh, thankfully never happened to me. Yeah, it's great to hear. Yeah, with me, and I know we're swapping war stories as ex as addicts too. But uh, yeah, opioids never really was an issue with me. It was always uppers. But yeah, I do know the pill mill. It's like uh, going to my shrink. Hey, by the way, I lost my bottle of Adderall. Uh, can you uh, write me another prescription and forging prescriptions and all? Yeah, I've been through that hellscape. It's uh, it's not fun. And then before in a previous lifetime, it was obviously cocaine and. Dealing in more of the the street value, I honestly say that these uh, the prescriptions are worse. I think Emmanuel, because 
it's almost like you can be more functional when you're on it, but you all you feel like you're losing your soul even more. It's hard to explain. Do you feel that way? Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. That so for me, the opioids were like an upper because I would take it. So I was never really getting good sleep is mm. what the issue kind of really came down to. I wasn't sleeping well, so I would need it. Uh, something to perk me up and that's what they're called perks where we were from so i would take a perk you know and then two hours later it's like oh i need more and then it's you know then an hour later i need more but now at this point you know i've 90 milligrams of percocet of my body three four hours into the day you know so you would think that i would be able like drooling out of the mouth not being able to move <laughs> but for me it, it like you said i was able to function and not only function on a regular basis but highly function to the point where i was people couldn't tell if i was high because i was high all the time mm. a and b because i could function like anyone else around me yeah it's almost like they're slowly turning into into a machine into a zombie you're not gonna overdose yeah. or die they don't care but i think they really want to steal humanity and make you just uh yeah just this lifeless machine that goes about his day that still yeah. can function as a slave so yeah. that it was yeah it felt like a complete invasion uh and i also like too which reminded me of my days in early in recovery you talk about um, how you were forced to make your bed. And that's something that it was uh, never instilled in you when you were growing up. And it really led you to taking care of yourself, something that uh, addicts kind of have to learn. And that's it. I remember being in a meeting and uh, I think it was my sponsor, some old timer say, make your bed every day. And I'm like, well, that's the dumbest thing. I need something woo woo and mystic and psychological to help me get over this addiction. And it did help because that was the one thing I could start building my life around. Sounds strange, but it works, right? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we have like the woo-woo mystical stuff that does help for a yeah. time, but, but we are human as well as spirit. So when we do the physical work, then it's, it's a deeper spiritual practice. You know, if we look at it like the spirit is the highest of the four bodies, then the mental, then the emotional, then the physical, then the physical actions are the actually the deepest spiritual actions that we can do. So making the bed is very symbolic of, okay, I'm taking care of this place. So this is something that means a lot to me, I'm going to take care of it. And in doing that, then you start to be able to control aspects of your life because you gain control over this one thing now i can gain control over this thing and it's uh, the fibonacci spiral because mm -hmm. that one point of making my bed every day spirals into so many other things that i can control doing my laundry showering uh taking care of my child the way that an adult's supposed to a and then from there you know whatever else exercise meditation uh and all the other things that, that go with it. But yeah, making the bed is that starting point for me. No, makes perfect sense. And yeah, thanks uh, for sharing. Yeah, it's same as uh, Jordan Peterson's famous uh, clean your damn room. I think it's the same as making your bed. It's sort of a, yeah. an early intervention type of therapy for us that live in chaos. And I know the audience might say, well, what does this have to do with Tardy? Well, you know, as they say in AA, we didn't come into these rooms because our life was good. We came because our life was broken. And many of us 
from the beginning lived in a culture that we didn't fit in. Uh, we were too sensitive. We saw too much. We went through these hells uh, as we tried to cope through drugs and other means. And that's what really brought us into the esoterica, the occult and all that. So and uh, it's uh, yeah, a pity that culture isn't better. A sort of uh, like in ancient times where if you had a, were a shaman, they would knew they would uh, find a way to fit you into the village, but that doesn't happen today. And that's why we go into these terrible journeys or part of it. So, um, yeah. What do you think of this, Emmanuel? Yeah. Well, mine directly correlates because like I said, when I prayed, so I wasn't Christian growing up. I was baptized Methodist as a baby against my will, you know, and <laughs> and Sunday school from the ages of five to 10, I went every so often, but I never, knew anything about the bible that's not what we did in sunday school nothing with the bible you would learn little fairy tales you know that they tell you and that's how i treated it was like fairy tales so for me when i prayed i just prayed to god you know just mm -hmm. i know that there's a higher power i didn't know exactly what any of that meant because i was still spiritually dead up until three years ago and, and that's when my uh spiritual awakening started but where I am now is I'm very solid with Jesus Christ. He has saved my life last year. This is after becoming very psychic, going through psychedelics, going through the astral realms and learning different occult practice, not occult practices, but different types of mysticisms that uh, are taught in ancient times and, and current day, just not in Christianity. That's the very last thing I got to was Jesus, and it was he chased demons out of me through an injury that I had when I, I was delivering food. I'm a delivery driver, and 400 pounds of chicken and cheese fell on me. I fell oh. on my root chakra, and over the course of three days of burning tobacco for no apparent reason other than I had the thought to do so, drinking tea, and then laughing with my daughter and girlfriend, I... I threw up demons and it, I was in bliss for 10 straight days. The bliss that you get from uh, mushrooms for that 10 minute period of love that you feel. I had that for 36 straight hours. And then the next eight and a half days, it was a little bit less than that, but I was still feeling in bliss for 10 days. And in my relationship with Christ over the last year, he and I don't I didn't learn him through the Bible. You know, I'm not coming from this through a Christian way. But doing the podcast and all, I started looking into ancient history. Actually, the episode after you, I had Andreas Exertus on my podcast, and that was my first introduction to Tartaria. Mm. And in doing that, it started me on this path of uncovering this covered up history and what was going on. And this is where like Christ and the covered up history really came together for me. And I saw why you know he was showing me why this is a thing why tartaria is the, the conspiracy theory that started all other conspiracy theories why this being covered up and it's not necessarily tartaria that's just the umbrella term that's used but this is covering up something in our past that the rulers of our realm do not want us to know about. And it answers the question because everyone always asks the question, 
why would they do this if it's a conspiracy you know if you're right about what you tell me someone who's blue pilled they'll say but why well this is the why it's because it's Christ's millennial kingdom is what the cover-up is all about. They don't want us to know where we are on our timeline because what is to come, a lot of Christians think it, that the rapture is to come, but the rapture has already occurred. The We are at the time where the great white throne judgment is about to occur, which is the very end of the book of Revelation. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yeah, well, we want to get to that uh, towards later on, because I think your ideas are fascinating, especially when you bring your um, articles on the book of Enoch and all that. But let's let's start at the beginning. So the audience, those of those that do not know, can understand it. Vince, have you ever heard of this conspiracy beyond what we do? Where you come home with some fried fish and you go, damn it, there's no tartar sauce, <laughs> which I do uh, all the you, time. <laughs> you beat me to the tartar sauce joke, <laughs> damn it. But, uh, well, um, only a little bit. Um, we've talked about the, uh, what, what is it, Fershenko, the, the, the Russian guy. that Flamenco, guy. yeah. Flamenco or Flamenco. See, yeah. now I'm doing it. Uh, we, we talked Flamenco. about that. Yeah. Um, um, so we talked about that. And I just recently, I think another guest mentioned the uh, Tartar and the mud floods. Yeah, no, Matthew, no, La Matthew Landman, when we were doing the geoengineering. Yes, yes, that's it. That's it. So that's the first I've heard of it. Although um, a long time ago, uh, I knew a guy that was very, um, he did a lot of traveling to Russia. He used to, he used to go in these, um, these uh, kickboxing fights and so forth, the, the mm. fights to the death that they have over there. And uh, he, he even, and I know it wasn't BS because he sent me little cute little things from Russia, like a little back rubbing thing and a whole bunch of things with all sorts of rushing all over it but uh he said in lake bakali they're actually they found aliens and so forth so there's definitely things up, mm. up in that area that are mysterious but that's as far as i've heard well get ready for a ride because it's it's <laughs> it's, it's it's breathtaking but emmanuel uh from what I've heard, it really started with what some uncovered CIA document showing that the USSR was trying to cover this long, a long time ago. Isn't that how it all started and it, it got made public? Yes. Yeah, so, well, it, it is that, but it's also on, on current day. We well, maybe not they're being made at this moment, but things that exist like maps that say Tartaria on it or Grand Tartary or uh, just Tartary. And it's either spelled sometimes with an I, sometimes with a Y, depending, I guess, upon who made the map. There is a section of Asia or Eurasia, I guess, that will say Tartaria on it. And as you were saying with the CIA document, I think it's from 1957, they uh, wrote up uh, an internal document or maybe a, a 
it's now declassified, so I forget exactly what the initial thing was about, but they were saying that the communists wanted to cover up the past. They wanted to separate themselves from the culture that was there before. And when they say the communists at that time, they're talking about USSR. And I guess they would also be talking about China as well, because this was all happening in the same area. And China isn't really talked about too much when we go into Tartaria, other than the Mongols were some of the Tartarians and that the China, the Great Wall of China is actually backwards from what we're told. It wasn't that uh, everything is facing the wrong way for what the mainstream narrative of why that wall exists. You know, it's all the all the different things are just facing the wrong way from what we're told. So there was definitely a cover up there. And it's funny that you say the tartar sauce because that word itself is a derogatory term for the Tartarians. Mm-hmm. They, there's a lot of different words that we use, like tarred and feathered. Uh, you know, I don't mean to offend anyone, but retard. Uh, barbarian is a Tartarian. There's different ways that the language has been manipulated where T's, B's, D's, and V's are somewhat interchangeable depending, again, on where the information was being written at, just like I said, it's Tartaria or Tartary, Grand Tartary, and the different spellings. It's a very strange thing because it's like a puzzle that you have to kind of put together. Like it's a generalized thing when you see these different pieces, but you can see these different pieces are pointing to the same part. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, because I mean... As far as the mainstream story, there were a group called the Tartarians around the time of uh, the Mongols. They were one of the tribes. Once the Mongols began their conquest, the the Tartarians kind of hitched their wagons. And as the prize in this empire, they got northern Russia, Moscow, and all that. So there was an empire of Tartaria for a few centuries. That's... uh, you know that's mainstream so um but for the audience what is can you explain if you're in an elevator and you see jj abrams or steven spielberg and they go i'm thinking about doing a movie emmanuel give me the pitch on what this tartary stuff is about okay well it's funny you say the media because i think i'm not one who watched the game of thrones but i know they have the targaryens yeah yeah which uh, is probably, you know, how they're revealing it a little bit. But so Tartaria, to me, is an umbrella term that people use it in a vast amount of ways. When you get into the conspiracy theory community, you'll see that people will say all the mountains are melted buildings. You'll see that people are saying there was free energy everywhere. You'll see all sorts of different ideas. Uh, there's timeline manipulation. And I mean, it goes really deep. It involves the War of 1812, which was World War Zero, apparently, with Napoleon Mm -hmm. pushing west uh, into uh, the Americas, as well as pushing east into Russia at the same time. And we're told these are separate things. Typically in school, when we're taught it's the French and Indian War and the War of 1812 are two different things, but it's it's the same thing uh, at the same time. So there are. The term Tartaria really just is the blanket term for 
the time period in the 1700s and 1800s where there was covered up history involving mud floods. Uh, there was orphan trains. There's infantoriums. There's world's fairs. There is so many different diverse angles to this and it's so thick and so deep you really need to go look at different people who are covering certain aspects like michelle gibson she covers uh the old world architecture the beautiful architecture in a very deep way howdy mccoskey covers the world's fairs in a very deep way ryan alexander covers anatoly fomenko his uh, idea who is a Russian mathematician who came up with these algorithms and has been studying history, uh, mainstream history for 40 plus years. And through his algorithms have uh, shown that there are phantom timeline events where he's saying that one, the two events uh, he'll take something like Christopher Columbus and Noah's Ark. Now, this is not necessarily what I agree with, but he'll say that that is actually one event. And one of them is uh, a complete phantom thing that it was just completely made up because of the way that everything just aligns and he sees that in many different things isaac newton also had these ideas back in the 1600s that there were phantom timeline events so there is so much to tartaria that it it takes a lot of understanding and a lot of pursuit to get a grasp on exactly what was going on oh yeah and it's it's almost like it just uh caught a life of its own it's just expanded into this tentacle creature and like you said that you could spend a lifetime just on one aspect of quote unquote tartaria but what you're saying uh, you're talking about phantom timeline so basically this is like uh, it reminds me of Atlantis, free energy, enlightened people, like a good time, except right. it happened earlier. There was this enlightened civilization, maybe 300 years ago, and then it got erased or it just fell apart. So a lot of people are thinking that actually Atlantis just was not necessarily one area, but it was the entire world. It was more of a time period. And that so when we get into these this old world architecture, we, which is weird because it still exists to this day, and that's how the world's fairs are connected, is that it was all demolished during the world's fairs when they presented all these buildings, uh, just the way that the world's fairs couldn't have been made in the time frame and and how large it was. I mean, there were certain world's fairs where they said there were. Uh, a certain amount of bricks used for one building, which was more production than the entire rest of the world had at that time. Same with the crystal palaces using uh, glass. It just doesn't add up. So the old world architecture is still being used today in our museums in our, uh, you know, art museums, uh, in our universities in our government buildings, un um, high schools, all sorts of different things that these buildings still exist. And you can see the difference when you are looking for, you can see the beauty in the old world architecture versus what we have today, which is uh, called brutal brutalism. It's a very strange thing. So um, I kind of forgot your question there. Yeah. What happened to Tartaria to the civilization? Okay. Yeah. okay so it, so around what the 1800, 1700s, yeah, it fell apart and this fake timeline has been created to occlude 
Tartaria. Yeah, so uh, when we have Tartaria, a lot of people think that Tartaria is just that spot in Eurasia that was over there, that in America it was called possibly Lemuria, mm-hmm. and the Moors uh, were over here. Now there are people uh, who are, uh, it's always said that they're copper-colored skin. Uh, so this is how it's termed in the books that you'll find from the 1800s, that there were copper colored people here that were giants. Essentially, they were very large people who were here and they had great cities and they had a lot of great things that were going on here. We're typically not told that in our history, but there was the for whatever reason, the, the white Europeans started going around conquering in the 1700s. And I think this was because it was getting ready for the second destruction of the world that the Bible talks about, and that the, the white Europeans were going around conquering was part of the destruction, that there were fires in all these uh, major cities across America Five years later, they would have a World's Fair there. You know, this is the type of thing that this is how it always intercedes with different aspects of it is that the Barbary Wars, uh, there's a war from America and Sweden were fighting off the rest of the Ottoman Empire, who were the Moors, who were in America in 1776 was the first Barbary War. Then in 1799, was the second Barbary War. And again, Barbary and Tartary. It's the it's the same thing. They just change certain letters depending on where you are when you're writing these things down, when you're saying them. So what ended up happening is there's some kind of mud flood event. And I know that term sounds ridiculous on its face of mud flood. But when you look into it, there's many cases of a mud flood happening. And it's a very real thing. There's a thing called soil liquefaction, yeah. which which occurs when we have an earthquake, and it doesn't really need to be a very strong earthquake because if a, a very strong earthquake happened, then you'd have more problems than a mud flood. The, you would just go into the ground if the soil would liquefy that way. But if the entire ground is shaking at a steady rate for a certain period of time, then the soil will liquefy and things will start to sink into it. Now, this is another part of the the Tartaria stuff is we look at pictures from the 1800s and it seems that there are these beautiful buildings all over, but the streets are all mud and they had horse and cart. How could they possibly make all of these structures based upon what we are told that they had? And then we start to see that all these buildings they start to dig these buildings out and there's windows and doorways that are underground that are facing mud and they start to dig them out. And this is where people will find a lot of the photos that show that there was some kind of mud flood, not in one specific area, but everywhere. And uh, again, fire is another way that uh, these mud floods could happen. And how is that possible? Well, we had the year without a summer in 1816 where there was a volcanic explosion that blocked out the sun it blackened out the sun just like the bible says will happen during the second destruction of the world jesus himself declared that the sun would be blackened out and it was that there was a nuclear winter for at least one year but there were still effects happening for seven years 
And in that, it caused famine and disease because crops weren't growing. People weren't getting the proper medicine. They weren't getting vitamin D. And also what was going on was World War Zero was happening from 1812 to at least 1815. We also had in 1812, the New Madrid earthquakes. Well, it's actually December 1811 through January 1812. We had three earthquakes that were three of the largest in history, all in the same place in Missouri. And it was so strong. These were like eight pointers, nine pointers, 10 pointers. They're not actually sure how large that they were. You'll get some places will say 7.3. Some will say like 9.8. It's, you know, it varies, but it's, they're very large earthquakes, so large that they reversed the Mississippi river for three days. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. So these are, uh, we also had Napoleon's comet or Tecumseh's comet that was flying around the earth uh, at that time in 1812. So we're talking about very biblical type of, of events happening all at the same time in 1833, November of 1833, there were comets raining. It looked like the stars were falling to earth, just as Jesus said would happen during the destruction of the world, that the stars would fall to earth. So the cover-up is, again, it's many different things that the mud flood was happening for many different reasons, earthquakes, fires, uh, wars were happening. People possibly think that there were direct energy weapons because the energy, so the ether in our everyday uh, life that we have now that we can manipulate, that was being manipulated for energy weapons and directed energy weapons. And this is how we would have had free energy and possibly flying vehicles that were using frequency and vibration in order to move. And it wasn't uh, a gravitational, uh, you know, it was like a zero gravity thing. It wasn't that you needed a combustible engine to give in the air, but you would somehow match the vibrational patterns and, and fly like a UFO flies. Mm -hmm. uh, and it brings to mind the Dyke that the Nazis used because of the bell towers that all exist in these old world architectures. And they removed all of the bells in World War One. They melted uh, between World War One and World War Two, like 30 to 40,000 bells from all these different uh, places, uh, different buildings that still existed, huge bells, small bells, they melted them to use as ammo uh, to fight the war. But, you know, if you study frequency and vibration and cymatics, which is another part of it, because the cathedrals could be cathedrals, that they're these windows, if you're to take the stained glass windows out, that they are cymatic patterns that if you are to take a, a speaker and you put salt or sugar on it and you play different uh, frequencies, the salt or sugar will go into a certain cymatic pattern. Well, these windows and all of these cathedrals are all shaped that way already. So there is so many different facets here of how things were covered up or why they were covered up. You know, stained glass being put in these windows is part of the cover up. Uh, the uh, digging out of buildings, but not acknowledging that there was some kind of mud flood there is part of the cover up. The World's Fairs 
uh, again, how they were built and then destroyed when we had homeless populations, massive amounts of homeless populations. Why were the World Fairs built? I mean, because like the Chicago World Fairs, close to where I live, that was like late 19th century. Why were these new cities erected? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, the Chicago one is a big time uh, one. That's if you start to look into that, you'll see a lot of different things like 27 million people visited in six months and only 500,000 people were from Chicago. So that's Mm. a nightmare in itself to get 5 million people a month, over 1.25 million people per week with with no international travel or, you know, no uh, travel really other than horse and buggy at that time. Uh, I mean, it just sounds like a nightmare. Uh, So the World's Fairs, they they say that they built them in two to three years to bring people to the cities because they were always five to ten years after fires, major fires, uh, Boston, San Francisco, St. Louis, Chicago. Right. And uh, I mean, they're just all over the place. There's even uh, the same time the Chicago fire happened. There was a fire happening in Michigan. And also one happening, uh, I forget exactly where, but like on another point right on the uh, Great Lakes over there. But the thing is, they lost millions upon millions of dollars each of these World's Fairs. And instead of keeping these buildings that they told us were temporary, made out of uh, plaster and wood, that they burned them down, they would take TNT dynamite and they would blow them up. They would get rid of them instead of keeping them to house people. So, but like I said, some of the buildings still stand today are in use today. So it wasn't all wood and plaster. And it's just really, when you start to look at the world's fairs, you can see that they were kind of like tricking people that people were very like uh, not here when they were there it was like some kind of mind control spell when you go look at accounts of people they said that they were just like wandering around just with all this wonderment just looking at it so in my opinion it was they were showing the world the old world architecture and then blowing it up and essentially regaining dominance like what they would do there or they were migrating people to the cities for a new Ah. new civilization perhaps yeah yeah that's a very good point as well yeah yeah i'm sorry we're trying to get this so basically you've got almost like i still think atlantis but it really happened 200 years ago whatever was in the past got wiped out because of a fight a war who's covering this up or what are the theories on who's covering this up the, okay whoever defeated tartaria <laughs> yes the white europeans they are the uh, ones for whatever reason so like i was saying the white europeans these world's fairs they would go around and they showed the skulls of different colored people and they would say that the white european skull is the best right. and that criminal skulls were lesser than them and that black people's skulls were even lesser than that. And it was this whole scale. It was an extremely racist thing that was going on. And they were putting people in these human zoos to present them as if that's how they lived. They would take two to 3,000 people from different cultures and areas, and they would be living out these movies in front of people uh, that 
they would have Native Americans running around with grass skirts and uh, bare chested and shooting arrows. And they would have like really what all the culture that we see today was all depicted right in front of your face. People were reenacting this right uh-huh. there. And it was it's to me, it's just a bunch of trickery uh, in order to do this. So I think it was the white Europeans, which I don't think the white Europeans that were doing this were just human. I think they are the fallen angels. That's uh, the Nazis. They would need they would need enough power to take on such an enlightened empire. It's yeah, not like, yeah it's not like george washington with some guns <laughs> yeah <laughs> so. yeah it was so so tartarus i'm sure you're familiar with tartarus oh, yeah. the greek word for the abyss the deepest darkest part of the abyss when we look at tartaria the suffix ia means kingdom of so tartaria is the kingdom of tartar and the abyss tartarus is in the abyss tartaria is the kingdom of tartarus on earth the representation so i think they climbed out of the earth i think the scorpion race is depicted as the gargoyles and all this uh catholicism uh statues that we have i think they climbed out and they took reign on the earth in tartaria so that's when we get this weird thing that tartaria itself wasn't this loving peaceful thing but that's what everyone is now spreading that misinformation because that is the deception part of this uh, civilization that was here a few hundred years ago. Mm, fascinating. Well, Vance, uh, what do you think? Uh, how does this sound to you? Do you have a question for a Emmanuel? I know you're going to say, well, my answer is the Italians are innocent. Leave them alone. <laughs> They're the wrong whitey. That's right. Like we Italians actually built the whole world, you know, forget <laughs> the Russians. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I have trouble. I have trouble with it. Although a lot of the little pieces are fascinating. And I think it's uh, uh, what it is is the basically people don't trust the people that lead the world. Well we just don't trust them, and yeah, and I think the basic lack of trust um, is fuels all the secret, you know, all the secrets that the governments and the leaders keep, and so um, and also I, I think that and as far as uh, uh, Fomenko, I, I can't keep forgetting his name. I think he had such kind of a nationalistic um, goal in rewriting the timelines to um, to glorify you know it's the the old i, I lived through the uh, you know the uh, the 60s and and the russians invented everything remember that when the russians in fact you know the star trek uh, show uh, uh, they had they had check off saying oh yeah the russians invented that right <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know it was ki- kind of like that but there 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 are some you know i'm sure that a lot of these disasters happened uh, the mud floods for example in particular spots in the world but having the whole world being a mud flood i don't think so or a whole continent you know the geography does just doesn't uh you know call me a skeptic but uh, i don't know what, what do you think emmanuel is uh, my skepticism ill-founded or no i, I mean it? no you're right because there's so much to it and it's so vastly different that when you haven't looked into it at all it you can't accept all of these different things that i'm presenting uh but i don't when i say a mud flood i don't think it was one event that happened throughout an entire continent that i think it was 
multiple, multiple events happening in different geo- geological areas that if comets were raining down upon Earth, that it would be where they hit and they heated up and different earthquakes were happening and volcanoes because a, a volcano itself. Uh, I mean, that is a mud flood, sort of, you know, it's very hot and it's lava, but it could be looked at that way in different senses. It could just heat everything up to that effect. But yeah, I mean, it is good to be very skeptical of all this. And like I said, when I first heard of this, I laughed at it and was like, this is ridiculous. But <laughs> but then, uh, you know, it's all like you said, all the little things start adding up and the most fascinating part is it's all the actual mainstream history just being put together and it's because it's not presented like that to us in school that when we start to put it together we're like wait a second there there is something to this oh you know another thing i i I forgot to say was that we definitely uh, are lied to um, in school about history and everything else. So, you know, I think that's another thing that makes people wonder about alternate uh, history timelines. I'll give you an example. In fourth grade, I was uh, listening to my fourth grade teacher and looking up at the, you know, they had the map pulled down. And all of a sudden I noticed, hey, look, Africa fits into South America. And I bet you maybe at one time they were together. And I raised my hand, hey, look, 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 teacher, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's not true. No, that's stupid. You know, blah 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 blah. I was totally put down, and it was years. And and tectonic plate theory had already been known about in the '60s. You know, the early '60s when I was in fourth grade. So, um, you know, the atom. You know, we were taught that atoms were little balls whizzing around, and they weren't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, now now God knows. You know that, that what they are. But um, the. the um, uh, what about Tunguska, by the way? Does that fit into the uh, Tartar- Tartary theory, uh, you know, the, the huge explosion that happened uh, over Siberia? Yeah, that's uh, that was the uh, year without a summer. Summer, am I correct? 1816? I'm not sure when it was, but it was uh, definitely uh, separate from that. I think the year without a summer was uh, um, in Malaysia somewhere, the uh, volcano Krakatoa, yeah, it, but no, there was, yeah, there was a meteorite in Siberia that changed the world, but I think, yeah, Krakatoa also did it. Well, one of us will have to look at Google. Yeah, Krakatoa uh, yeah, did I, definitely, yeah, well, you know, spewed out. And I think we're getting, yeah, the same meteorite we might get in a few years. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just brought up the Tunguska event. So, no, I'm actually, uh, I, I've heard of that, but that is not a. Uh, part of my understanding of that that's that would be a little bit later i mean 1908 that's still part of the covering up then i think it was like 1918 with the spanish flu was that was like the beginning uh uh, really the beginning of what we know as culture and society today uh so i mean that would probably be part of it somehow i i mean but that's not anything that i've really looked into yeah, Krakatoa was yeah 1883, so it was after. Yeah, yeah, yes. So, so Mrs. O'Leary's cow is part of this, huh? Because that's how the fire in Chicago started, right? Yeah, that's a legend. Nobody yeah. believes it. But. Right. That's that's the thing is that, but at that time was there were three fires going on in three different parts of the Great Lakes, major fires. I mean, with millions of dollars of damages, millions of people. Uh, I don't know if it was millions of people displaced, but. Uh, uh, many many people displaced from their homes because of fires happening 
at the same exact time in three different areas. So that's where we can really debunk the uh, the whole kale thing kicking over a candle. And we have that now in California. We got like a, during fire season, this last couple of fire seasons have been horrendous. Just yeah. horrendous. Yeah, part of the great reset, Bans. What are you going to do? It's all part of the great reset. Yeah. As we are now at the end, where can people find out more about you? Okay. So my website, emmanuelkingman.com. And the way you spell that is I M M A N U E L kingman.com. And you, on there, I have a blog titled WTF is a Tartarian, where we cover all this stuff that we went over here. You can check out my podcast, Godcast, the Goodness Over Darkness podcast. And on that podcast, I have multiple interviews of Michelle Gibson. I have an interview with Andreas Exertis, multiple interviews with Ryan Zam. I have Howdy McCoskey. I have a, really a lot of the top players in this whole Tartaria thing. I've interviewed them at least one time. So you can go there and uh, uncover or look at the evidence that has been brought forward in a uh, meaningful way. Uh, and then you can hit me up on my Gmail. You, you can contact me, the great chakra awakening 777 at gmail.com. Oh, and also my YouTube is goodness over darkness. And there you can find my two part series on the second destruction of the world, according to the Bible by fire. Awesome. And thanks for that. And yeah, it's wonderful conversation. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. But yeah, we are at the end of this interview. Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company. No problem. Here I am, the Tartarian advocate, uh, signing <laughs> off. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you, Emmanuel, for being so gracious, too, and uh, putting up with my skepticism on, on it, such as it is. But I think there's something to it. There's something, uh, there's something uh, uh, to it all. Yeah, yeah, for well, sure. And thank you guys for letting me come on. This was wonderful. And I love, uh, you know, I'm skeptical of things myself. Like I said, the first time I came to it, I was, I laughed it off. Actually, the first two times I heard of it, I, I completely <laughs> laughed it off. So yeah, it, it challenge yourself. Yeah, keep challenging yourself and let the data take you where it needs to go. Who knows? I think I agree with Vance. This is going to lead to something, but this is a monster. I think this might be the mother, as I say, the mother of all conspiracies. So yes, let's sir. see where it goes. Uh, but yeah, Emmanuel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Emmanuel, thank you very much for coming on the show, and good luck with all your projects. Uh, thank you so much. You guys have a great night, and thank you for having me. And there you have it, you shining crazy diamonds. Emmanuel giving the steak tartare of Tartaria without the bad puns. In our second part. Emmanuel would deal with the role of pyramids across the world in relation to Tartaria. He'll talk about the mystery of the White House and when it was really constructed, long before any colonies. We'll bring in Freemasons and their role in all of this hoopla, as well as tie in the ideas of Fomenko and his new chronology. Then we get spiritual, and Emmanuel will discuss archons as mind parasites, angels and demons, and how the Book of Revelation plays into Tartaria. And we have some fun punching down on the metaverse, and much more. So please become an AB Prime member, Red Circle subscriber, or Patreon at Patreon for the full Uber conspiracy theory. 
Only $6.99 for AB Prime or $4.99 at Red Circle or whatever you want to pledge at Patreon. Membership to AB Prime or Patreon mid-levels includes full access to more than 500 quality shows. You'll get an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group and my Discord channel. Even support in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the U.S. mail really, really helps. There is also a link on the show notes if you want to donate via Stripe now. I also have the merch store and an Amazon wish list. Get your popular Not Today Archons t-shirt today. Don't forget my voiceover availability. I'll bring you stellar voiceover with down-to-earth professionalism. No matter what project or scope you need. And as mentioned, the Astronosis Conference will be available to stream. So check it out at my webpage. Lastly, I'm also on Rockfin or Odyssey, if crypto is your bag. If you need help with all of these choices or anything else, just message my ass. I'm always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.